not sure what Cinco de Mayo is, you're in luck here on the 5K Every Day in the Month of May podcast. We are all about strengthening our body by getting out and running and or walking at least 3.1 miles each day. We are all about strengthening our hearts by encouraging one another throughout the journey. You can do it. Let's do it together. We are all about strengthening our souls by devoting ourselves to reading three chapters of scripture each day. And we are all about strengthening our minds by learning random bits of information like, what in the world is Cinco de Mayo? I'm glad you asked. Cinco de Mayo commemorates the anniversary of Mexico's victory over the French Empire at the Battle of Puebla in 1862. Historically speaking, the victory was actually short-lived. A much larger French army returned a year later and ultimately defeated the Mexican army at the Second Battle of Puebla. The French army then occupied Mexico City and forced the Mexican government into exile. Now, contrary to popular belief, Cinco de Mayo is not Mexico's Independence Day. That would be September 16, and Mexico had already been an independent nation for more than 50 years prior to the First Battle of Puebla. Much like the United States of America, Mexico has a rather long and interesting history. Want to know more about it? Talk to someone from Mexico. I'm sure they would love to tell you all about their rich history and heritage. Ironically, Cinco de Mayo, which is literally just 5th of May in the Spanish language, is more celebrated in America than it is in Mexico. But that's okay, it does provide us with an excellent opportunity to think of and celebrate our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters around the world. Our daily photo challenge for today is to find a Mexican flag on your run or walk and celebrate Cinco de Mayo. As a fun way to continue to celebrate Cinco de Mayo and as a way of continuing what has become a bit of a tradition at this point, let's go ahead and get our blood pumping and body moving as we listen to a song that was recorded in Taylor's Playground Recording Studio by my good friend John Schmidt. The song is sung in Spanish and it is simply called Corre, which means run. José era un hombre en la Biblia y su historia es la verdad. No es si acaso, más bien es cuando la tentación nos va a llegar. Porque la esposa de su jefe a José trató de seducir, él vio el peligro, prefirió huir y eso mismo debes hacer. Corre, no hay que parar. Corre, no debes negociar. Corre a tu padre, clama a Jesús, tendrás la victoria por su muerte en la cruz ante la tentación. Dispárate como cañón y corre, corre. Hermano, si se tienten, tú recuerda, el diablo odia que le diga no. Él te tentará con quien pueda, a José a su mujer lo sujetó. Pero hizo lo correcto cuando le dejó su abrigo, la dejó parada, corrió hacia la puerta y se fue. Y así le dijo, no. Corre, no hay que parar. Corre, no debes negociar. Corre a tu padre, clama a Jesús, tendrás la victoria por su muerte en la cruz. Ante la tentación, dispárate como cañón y corre. 
corre De José escuchó y su consejo te debes guardar A veces no a tu corazón, a tus pies debes hablar Debes correr, no hay que parar Corre, no debes negociar Corre a tu padre, clama a Jesús Tendrás la victoria por su muerte en la cruz Ante la tentación, dispárate como cañón Y corre, corre Corre! For any of you who may be Spanish language challenged, as I am, perhaps I should offer a bit of a translation and explanation. This is from a Facebook post that John Schmid made back in 2018 when he was talking about using this song while on a prison ministry tour in Latin America. He says, One of the songs I sing on this tour is Corre, a translation of Steve and Annie Chapman's song about how Joseph dealt with Potiphar's wife's seductive advances. In English, the song is entitled, Run. That's how Joseph dealt with this beautiful, powerful, lonely woman's advances. He ran. The response to this song in one particular prison was electric. Amen. Eso, si, applause. The looks on the faces of these men told me that it never occurred to them to run. When a pretty woman offers herself, what's a man to do? Be a man. Accommodate her. Certainly not run. But Joseph and Stephen Annie Chapman... Tell us that real men do run. Here are the lyrics from the song in English. Run, don't hesitate. Run, don't negotiate. Hurry to the Father in the name of the Son. That's where you'll find the victory because it's already won. When temptation comes like a bullet from a gun, run. After the service, several men surrounded me as I put my guitar away. How can we get the words to Kore? What are the chords? Please teach us. So I took my guitar back out of the case where I just happened to have a copy of the Spanish version and we had a music lesson right there as the rest of the chapel was being served the food we brought in. Within 20 minutes, these musicians were catching on to this very non-Latin style song that has a very biblical teaching about faithfulness. Now, how cool is that? So you see, it's obvious to me that what we are doing here in the 5K Every Day in the Month of May Challenge is not just good for your health, but it's super biblical as well. Our Bible memory verse for the week is Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now let's go ahead and jump back into our daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 13. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell upon a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seed fell along the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. 
This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me, and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Here's another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? They asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. Here's another illustration that Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Then, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things? Yes, they said, we do. And then he added, Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, Where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Here in Matthew 13, we have Matthew's version of the parable of the sower. This famous parable shows up in the Gospels of Mark and Luke as well. And there are many applications that can be made in regards to this parable, which leaves very little room for confusion as far as its meaning. This is one of the few parables that Jesus not only tells, but also tells the meaning of within the same chapter. But the application that I want to quickly draw from this parable is the fact that the sower was chucking seeds in a non-discriminatory fashion. He was not selective about where the seeds were being thrown. Sure, the seed only grew and multiplied in a specific soil type, but that didn't stop the sower from throwing it absolutely everywhere. Now, in the same chapter, we see a parable of a wide net being thrown into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And while this is not necessarily the specific point Jesus was trying to make here, I know it is still consistent with his heart to talk about how the kingdom of God is not just made of one type of person. The kingdom of God is not made up of only one gender. It's not made up of only one generation. And it's not made up of only one nation or people group. The kingdom of God is made up of people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And with that in mind, I wanted to bring on a good friend of mine, Gustavo Gonzalez, to share a little bit about what God is currently up to, specifically in the Spanish-speaking world. Well, I have an enormous privilege here of talking with Gustavo Gonzalez, and we met in Chicago I can't remember the year, but I do remember the handlebar mustache that you were rocking, and it was incredible. Uh, I was I was impressed with the mustache, but I have to say, as I got to know you that week and get to uh, hear your heart a little bit and what God was doing in your life, I was impressed by you, my friend, and uh, we struck up a friendship that I'm incredibly grateful for, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to the 5K Every Day in the Month of May podcast. It's a real privilege to have you. Can you let the audience know who are you? Who are we talking to here? Gustavo Gonzalez. All right, man. For me, it's an absolute pleasure, Jeff. Uh, it's an honor. Yeah, my name is Gustavo Gonzalez. I born and raised in the beautiful Caribbean island of Puerto Rico. I was saved when I was 21 years old from uh, a cultural Christianity. Uh, God saved me, saved my marriage and gave me a purpose. Then uh, me and my wife, we've been married for 18 years. We started leading in church, uh, different, you know, volunteer positions 
doing different things. I have uh, two children, uh, Dylan, it's uh, 14 years old. My daughter, Nyla May, it's uh, 12 years old. Uh, and eventually I became a youth pastor at a local church here in Puerto Rico, still am. And that's how I got to know you, Jeff. You know, uh, I got involved with the Dare to Share Ministries that probably your, your audience know some, somewhat. And on one of those events, Lead the Cause Chicago 2015, my brother, uh, Jeff was there and he was leading uh, the core training. That's how we call it. You know, one of the, the training that uh, the, the ministry put for newcomers, right? And Jeff was my teacher. And he was awesome. And I was like, oh, this guy is super cool. So you are uh, one of my earliest memories uh, from uh, working uh, in the kingdom. Because, you know, what I was seeking was uh, as a youth pastor, a new youth pastor, I didn't know what, what I was doing. So this ministry there to share gave me gave me handles and gave me a, a path to walk in. So I started, you know, just using what they put out, consuming their philosophy, and then going to the events like Lift the Cost. And now I am, I have the privilege seven years later of relationship with the ministry for, by God's grace, I really, sometimes I don't know why he does these things, but now I am the Spanish ministry uh, uh, specialist uh, for Dirty Share Ministries. And the, the dream and what we're working towards is uh, to truly make this ministry expand into the Spanish-speaking world. So that's what I'm doing right now. I have the privilege of networking with international leaders uh, that speak Spanish. I have the privilege to train in some of the events, translate the trainings and the resources, um, and yeah, make that available for, for all of our brothers and sisters in uh, North, Central, South America, Caribbean, and Europe as well. That's a little bit of me in a nutshell, brother. I absolutely love it. And I couldn't think of a better person to be filling that role. So thank you for being willing to do it. The people who are listening to this podcast, they have been walking and or running 3.1 miles every day for five days. And they're going to continue that through the entire month of May. And I'm wondering, could you offer any encouragement to the people who are engaging in this challenge, something to keep them going? Yeah, man, for sure. First of all, more than encourage you or I will I will say that you know I, I take my hat off for you because if you're not a runner or a walker you know start mooking the skeleton <laughs> yes because Jeff put out that challenge uh, I mean I admire you for doing that so yeah keep keep going uh, it's only beneficial it doesn't matter uh, how old you are or any any other descriptive that you may have put on yourself it is only beneficial to do the you know, 5k a day at the end, you get, you'll be healthier. You'll feel great. I know right now probably it's five days. So right now you probably not feeling that great. You're feeling all that, all those growing pains and all that. Probably you're thinking, what am I doing? Why did I get into this? You know, for stuff like that. <laughs> but I would encourage you to continue because uh, the be beginnings are always, are always uh, hard. And I would just encourage you, you know, uh, scripture you know just think about all the things that god started uh in small uh beginnings and and maybe this is it maybe you need it because of your health maybe god just uh encouraged you to do this and, and there was something developing in your body that wasn't his and with this you will be able to get rid of it maybe you will inspire someone else the one thing i would do, i would say you know um, and i'm happy that you're listening to this podcast because it's uh, I, I know it's your heart but um do the 5k a day but bring jesus as you go 
you know, use it uh, with the people that you encounter uh, on the way, in the park, on the gym, wherever you go, even if it's uh, your own home, you know, maybe you have someone coming to work and they see you all sweaty and they say, what are you doing? It's like, it's a challenge, you know, use whatever it is to bring, uh, bring up Jesus and uh, he will, he will help you through it. Don't give up. It's five days and uh, a couple of more to go. So keep going. Well, I think that is a good word. Thank you for that encouragement. Over the weekend, I had the privilege and the pleasure of being in Colorado with you, my friend, at the Gospel Advancing Summit. And you were on the stage and you were talking about some of the incredible things that God is doing all over the world, but specifically in the Spanish-speaking world. And I just thought it'd be really great for our podcast listeners to get a chance to hear some of those things that I was hearing or maybe something you didn't even share. So I'm wondering, could you tell us a little bit about what God is up to right now in the Spanish-speaking world? Yeah, man. Sometimes I just be in awe for what God is doing, you know, and uh, we have the privilege as a ministry to have, I would call it little windows in, in hearing partners and what God is doing in different places, you know. Egypt, Kenya, Europe, different places. And it's, it's certainly humble and it's certainly encouraging. But in the Spanish speaking world, you know, we, we like I said, we started this expansion and, and leaders are receiving it so well because as we shared our vision of every team everywhere, you know, hearing the gospel from a friend, it's like a light bulb goes up. And it's, it has been so incredible because they open the doors of their ministry. They open the doors of the churches they're working with, and they are willing to allow us through them or directly to, to bring this uh, vision into their, into their framework, right? Because sometimes we at a church not necessarily think about those things. And it's been happening different ways. I will give you, you know, in Puerto Rico, we, uh, we've been doing it since the year started what we call a Go Share Day Tour. That uh, will be me and my, my dear friend, Ramon Ibanez. He is an Argentinian married to a Romanian living in Puerto Rico as a missionary with our, uh, our, our ministry partner, Word of Life. So anyways, we met and it was funny because he was doing his thing and I was doing my thing. And even though Word of Life and Dirty Share were partners, you know, in, in the ministry level, neither of us knew it, the other one existed. So he uh, got to know me through someone else and uh, we've been planning and dreaming together. So we're doing this, this tour. We visited different churches, uh, training their students how to have a gospel conversation and then making them go out to share the gospel. And different stories, man, but the, my, a couple of my favorites, right? Uh, it's this uh, grandma that drove her, her granddaughter to the, to the event. And since it was kind of far, she decided to stay with us. She went through all the training and she went out to the community to share the gospel. And when she came back, it, she was, you know, glowing. She was super happy. She looked like a little girl because she was like, oh, I've never done this in my life. Uh, it's a, I wonder why I'd never done this before. And she was super excited about that. And then just uh, the, the students, when they come back and they share how other people were, number one, willing to hear them talk about Jesus. And number two, some of them were open and the Holy Spirit did the work and they put their faith in Jesus. It's been incredible. But other than that, man, just to see uh, camps in Argentina changing their, uh, their, their normal mode of doing things and make it gospel advancing, meaning believing in the power of the gospel and, and in the power of, or potential of teenagers, I would say, and making this 
camp that meet that gather thousands of teenagers every year, make it gospel events and train them and send them out. And not only there, you know, we move north and we have Mexico as well uh, doing the same thing. They, I, we have friends over there that have evangelistic schools, meaning they're schools, but their their purpose is to reach those students with the gospel of Jesus. We can talk about um, Spain as well. They're doing a similar thing than, than us. They call it join the cause. And it's, it's just touring around the missionaries, uh, training students and their leaders, and then taking them out to share it on the street. And over there, a funny, uh, I'm not funny, but an amazing story was, you know, same dynamic. Europe, for those of you that, do, that don't know, they are very well ahead of the curve, so to speak, in terms of post-Christianity, right? They, that's where all experts think we are going as a culture in the U.S., right? So these students that are Christians were being trained by it and then challenged and they were super nervous and they were convinced that it would not work in their context. They say, people don't want to hear it. They'll make us go out and do this uh, because, you know, the culture itself, it, it will be, it, it won't work. So after most, more convincing, they went out and the leader of, of that uh, area over there, his name is Mike, a great guy, three of those young people with him and they started having conversations, right? With the first group of, of, of women, they explained the gospel and they asked, uh, did it make sense? And they say, yes. And they look at each other like, okay, it makes sense. And they and the women again say, yes, it makes sense. You explained it very well. I said, all right, would you, is there anything keeping you from trusting Jesus right now? And they say, no, really. And they look at each other again. It's like, what is going on? And they ask again, you know, they confirm, I, I mean, are, are you sure there's nothing in between? I mean, that's keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus. And the women said no. And they and, and they was like, so would you like to do that? And they said yes. And they were they were super pumped. Afterwards, they met another group of guys, the same, you know, further down the road. And the same thing again. It's like they explained the gospel and they asked, did it make sense? And they say yes. And they it, they were inspired but still a little skeptical at that point again they ask are you sure you want to put your faith in jesus right and and they say yes and again man when they came back to the church that they were uh, you know doing the training in it was completely different you know it was 20 20 some students that completely changed their perspective on the and the power of the gospel and there were at least six people that we're going to meet in heaven because of what these uh, brothers and sisters did uh, that day so uh, for real, you know, and even in the U.S., Ohio, there's a, a Spanish-speaking community over there. We have friends over there doing the thing. You know, the gospel doesn't have any limit, doesn't know any language, doesn't know any ethnicity. Uh, the world is God's, and, and the world needs this message. And I'm happy. Like I said, I've been hearing and encouraged because I've been hearing stories from all over the world. But super, super happy for what's happening in, uh, in in Latin America and Spain in particular. And in part part of that, you know, if I may, you know, we are uh, planning this uh, international event. Literally, it's called Dirty Your Life, El Día del Evangelismo Juvenil Hispano. Get Google for it to translate that for you. But believe me, it's awesome. Some of you have already experienced Dirty Your Life, right, in English. But this is going to be completely in Spanish. Spanish speakers, we're going to have a, uh, a DJ, we're going to have spoken word artists, we're going to have a comedian. And it will be, uh, after five years doing live, it will be our first 
international life because of the uh, uh, the makeup of the Spanish-speaking world, right? So uh, everybody's getting excited about that. I'm super pumped about it. Uh, and it's just that, a one day of evangelism inspiration, evangelism training, and evangelism activation all throughout the Spanish-speaking world. So two things, if, if you your audience wouldn't mind, just pray for that, September 17. And if you guys know anybody, uh, any Spanish-speaking church, either in the U.S., or maybe places you've done mission trip or stuff like that, please give them that information because we would love to have them. They just need an internet connection, an adult that will host it, and an outreach plan. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, many, many other things, you know, that God is doing through his, his God and, and, and the things that we don't even know that he's doing, right? Amen. I hope you were super encouraged by that conversation with Gustavo Gonzalez. God is at work, not only in this nation and in this culture, but all over the world. Let's pray for that Dare to Share Live in Spanish event right now. God, I pray that you will powerfully use the Spanish-speaking Dare to Share Live event. We know that your heart is for all people and for all nations, and I pray that this event would be full of the power of your spirit and that you would mobilize and energize and activate your people to gospelize their world. We pray that you would use this event and that you would use Gustavo powerfully for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Chapter 14 When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because of all the people who believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Well, bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples, who gave it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. About five thousand men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. 
Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have such little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly through the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Here in Matthew 14, we get an interesting and disturbing glimpse into the sinful human heart. We read that Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. That's Matthew 14 verses 3 through 4. Perhaps this story is most disturbing because in a way that we don't really want to admit, we can see ourselves in Herod at least a little bit. We hate to be confronted. We hate even more to be confronted about our own sin. John was right. What Herod was doing was not right. It was not lawful. It was blatant sin. When confronted about our own sin, we really only have two options. Well, to be fair, let's call it two and a half, but it's really only two. Option one is to repent. We can acknowledge that what we are doing is wrong and we can change our mind and actions about that sinful activity. That's really what repentance is, by the way. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. Jesus picked up that same message and continued preaching repentance himself. But what is repentance? The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, and it means a change of mind, a reorientation, a fundamental transformation of outlook, of man's vision of the world and of himself, and a new way of loving others and God. I think my friend Doug Holliday says it best, that repentance is changing your mind about sin, self, and Savior. We change our mind about our sin. We admit our sin to God. We confess it. We call it what it is. We recognize that it's an offense to a holy God. We change our mind about self. We recognize that we are powerless to fix our sin problem on our own. We need God's help. We need God's grace. We need a Savior. And we change our mind about the Savior. We recognize that Jesus is the sinless Son of God sent into the world to die on the cross in our place, paying the price for our sins so that we can be forgiven. That is what true repentance is all about. So option one then is to repent, but repentance does not include beheading the person who pointed out your sin. Option two then is to double down and demonize the person or people who loved you enough to point out your sin. This, by the way, is why so many people hate the church. Very few people are indifferent about God or about the church. Most people either love God and the church or hate God and the church. 
I was talking about this phenomenon with my daughter the other day while on a run, and we were talking about the theory of evolution and how it just really doesn't make any sense on a macro level. Sure, monkeys and men have similarities, as do dogs and cars, but that doesn't mean that one came from the other. In fact, if they had, then we should see an overwhelming amount of evidence and still existing not-quite-monkeys and not-quite-yet-humans walking the earth. Instead, we see zero evidence of this. And not only do we see zero evidence of this one specific example of macroevolution, but to believe that all the birds, fish, animals, trees, stars, planets, mountains, and oceans came from one single Big Bang doesn't make any logical scientific sense at all. Unless the Big Bang was the sound of God saying, let there be. If you were walking in the woods and you happened to look down and see an iPhone sitting next to an acorn, there is no logical way you could determine that the iPhone was the result of an acorn evolving over billions of years. No one looks out their front door, sees a dog chasing after a car, and logically determines that since the dog runs and the car runs, the car must have come from the dog. The amount of faith required to believe any of this is not only astronomical, it's not actually faith at all, it's blind determinism. People would rather believe that man came from monkeys and everything we see, touch, and feel is just the result of some random, spontaneous, primordial explosion because they cannot be held accountable to a big bang. It's as simple as that. If God is real and he created us, then he created us for a purpose. Not only did he create us for a purpose, but he also gave us, I would say lovingly, clear parameters. If God is not real, then anything goes. Herod is welcome to help himself to his brother's wife if God is not real. But if God is real, and he set clear parameters of marriage to be between one man and one woman, then living outside of those parameters is sin and destructive and something that Herod should be held accountable for living outside of. So the second option is to double down and to demonize the person or people who loved you enough to point out your sin. And of course, there is another half option. You can pretend not to notice or care, but that is only putting off the inevitable. At some point, either in this life or immediately after you die, you will be confronted about your sin and you will have to deal with it. Of course, by that point, it will be too late. Chapter 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you just offended the Pharisees by what you just said? 
Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to just send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, and those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, the crippled were made well, the lame were walking, and the blind could see again, and they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? And Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? They replied, Seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home, and he got into a boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan. In Matthew 15, we are seeing the tension really start to pick up between Jesus and the religious leaders. This will continue to be a theme of Matthew's moving forward. It is not by accident, by the way. Jesus is doing this on purpose. He is not doing it just to be a troublemaker, but he is well aware that it is going to cause trouble. Being a truth teller is like that sometimes. As we already talked about from the previous chapter, when people are confronted about their sin, they will either repent or double down. I honestly believe that Jesus would prefer that the religious leaders would have repented. That was his message, after all. But he also knew that they would not. Now, to be fair, some of the religious leaders did repent. For example, following the crucifixion, we see Nicodemus, a powerful Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, and Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a member of the Sanhedrin, come to collect the body of Jesus. Joseph even went as far as to offer his own family tomb for the burial. So some of the religious leaders did change their minds about sin, self, and the Savior, but most did not. 
This theological battle had to take place because the world Jesus had entered into had lost its way. They were a long way away from God. In fact, God himself was in their midst in the person of Jesus, and they not only failed to recognize him as God, but they even hated him, lied about him, demonized him, and had him put to death. So yeah, they had lost their way. The religious leaders who lived during the time of Jesus had placed heavy man-made burdens on the backs of God's people. They misrepresented God, and they misinterpreted God's word. They believed in a God that they only existed to serve, and they believed that the only way to get to this God was to try harder, to cry louder, and to avoid anyone who was a bigger sinner than they were. Jesus, God, came on the scene to put an end to that madness. He was the perfect representation of God. He was the Word made flesh. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He knew that sinful man could never get to God, so he came to sinful man. He hung out with sinners and showed that the way to God was not possible for anyone by anything that we could do ourselves, but rather was made accessible to everyone by what Jesus alone did on the cross. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Thank you for faithfully listening to the 5K Every Day in the Month of May podcast. I hope it has been helpful to you. If it has, please leave a comment on day five on my blog at www.jeffpullamusic.com and let us know what you like about the podcast. To send you out today, here's an oldie but goodie. We were talking earlier about evolution and living in a world without God. So it just seems right to leave you with a song from my solo acoustic album from 2006 called Here I Am. This album was recorded at the Dark Horse Recording Studio outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and the song is called A World Without God. Sunrise, except the light of God's creation, and why does it go down? Except so we could see the stars, the work of a master. Try to say that we are nothing more than the chance of order overtaking disaster. Cause I don't want to live in a world without God. A world of total desperation I don't want to live in a world without God Without hope of my salvation I don't want to live in a world without God It's without faith, hope and love There is no truth, there is no reason to be alive What is a monkey? I should call it grandpa, it looks nothing like me Where did it come from? I'm trying to say that we are nothing more than a billion years of progressing punch gum Cause I don't wanna live in a world without God A world of total death 
desperation I don't wanna live in a world without God Without hope of my salvation I don't wanna live in a world without God It's without faith, hope and love There is no truth, there is no reason to be alive I created you and still you are filled with so much doubt What more can I do? I gave my only son But still I know that the day will come And you will stand before my throne And I will hear you say How could I live in a world without you, God? And now look at my destination oh, And I don't want to spend Eternity without you, God But I threw away my salvation And I don't want to live In a world without God A world of total desperation Without faith, hope, and love There is no truth, there is no reason to be alive